the entire earth is covered with my passion. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, and happy new year. Welcome back to the first new interview episode of 2022 of the Rasafari podcast. I hope your year is going swimmingly so far, and um, I, I can tell you that mine's been been pretty solid, having, having a good time. Currently hanging out up in Buffalo, New York, where I am recording this intro, and um, y'all, it's snowy. It has been snowing like every day, and... Uh, for those of you that don't know, one of one of the dogs in my life is a nine, almost ten month old now puppy named Paradiddle. Uh, her full name is Peggy Sue Paradiddle, and there is so much drum nerd, music nerd stuff in there that I'm I'm just gonna leave it alone. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, cool. But uh, Perry, as I like to call her. That's not true. I like to call her Paradiddle. But Perry, as we call her, uh, is loving her first experiences in the snow. Her favorite thing in the world is finding sticks outside. Uh, at least that was true until she discovered that you can find sticks outside in the snow. Now that is her favorite thing in the world. So um, that's been much of my year so far, and I, I got to tell you, it's not a not a bad way to start the year. There's probably some nugget in there about always be the dog that finds the stick in the snow or something like that as you're looking at New Year's resolutions and stuff, but... um. I don't really believe in those, so yeah. But also, always be the dog that finds the stick in the snow. I will say this about the new year, though. Um, I don't know if you all have heard this or not, but uh, this this new variant of COVID is spreading like wildfire. Uh, the Omicron variant is is tearing up the world right now, and I bring that up not to bring y'all down, but to to point out that um. It's been really cool doing a bunch of in-person interviews for this podcast lately, and and I've been loving all of that, but uh, we're going back to Zoom for a little bit, y'all. I had a couple of in-person things scheduled, and they have been canceled. There have been staffing issues. Heck, even one of my just personal trips that I was taking to a zoo, it ended up not really feeling safe, and the people I knew there were either dealing with the short-staffedness or were being forced to quarantine or whatever, so uh, one of my my own trips got cut short. There's just a lot going on right now, but the good news is Zoom exists and, uh, you know, sounds pretty good, so starting today, we're back on Zoom interviews for a while, but I've got some really cool guests coming, some really neat interviews lined up, and uh, I'm excited to share them all with you starting with today. And in fact, you know, I mentioned that um, New Year's resolutions aren't really my thing. I don't really believe in them, but um, I know a lot of people do, and serendipitously, this has all kind of worked out pretty effectively because uh, this is a good episode for those of you who might be taking on the New Year's resolution that so many do to get into better shape and stuff like that. You see, my interview today is with PJ Bevan of ZooFit. Now, PJ has been a keeper at a bunch of amazing facilities, including SeaWorld, 
doing some time in New Orleans, and also working at Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, one of my absolute favorite zoos. I love it out there. So you're going to get to hear a ton of really cool animal stories. Don't you worry. But PJ also realized that in order to be able to properly take care of animals, you also have to take care of yourself. And with that realization, she started working on her own fitness and then put together a training program called ZooFit, which incorporates the ideas of training that people use at zoos and different animal activities and stuff into an awesome fitness program. Uh, and it's it's very zoo-focused and conservation-focused as well. So you're going to get to hear about some of that at the end of the interview as well. So there's lots of cool stuff coming your way, including a funny story from me after this commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. Okay, so... Funny story time, and then we'll get to the interview. The funny story is that I don't do a ton of research into all of my guests. I like our conversations to teach me who these people are, and that way y'all get to learn with me. It's pretty cool. But I do do some research. I, I have to, um, just to see who I'm going to be talking to a little bit and get a, get a little, you know, a couple of ideas in my head. And so... PJ and I did not meet like I meet a lot of these people on social media, and as such, when I went to do a little digging, I don't know what I did, y'all, but somehow I found some, like, really skinny, ripped dude that I thought was PJ Bevan, and I was like, this is so freaking weird because there's no mention of animals anywhere or zoo fit anywhere, but whatever this is this is clearly a person who cares about fitness and so okay this is the dude that i'm going to be talking to and that that was fine whatever and that is what i thought until um pj joined me on zoom and is a girl and that's cool i i like i like talking to girls i like talking to guys i like talking to everybody y'all know that but um I have never been so wrong-footed at the start of an interview. Like, I usually have some idea of what to expect, and instead there was just the wrong person there. My first thought was literally like, oh, is this his, like, wife or something helping him, you know, with technical issues or something? I don't know. And um, and then she was like, hi, John. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I somehow looked at the wrong profile entirely. So that is my fun story for you all. I'm a goober. And uh, now you'll get to hear the interview that picks up, fortunately, after that. Oh, and fun story. I totally didn't tell her that that happened. So um, PJ is just finding that out now with all of you. Here is my interview with PJ Bevan from ZooFit. Enjoy. Hi, who, who are you? 
Hi. <laughs> Hi, John. I'm PJ Bevan with ZooFit. I was a zookeeper for 15 years working all over the country. And now I've, I've, I've traded my work keys and my radio and my Leatherman to, for jump rope, dumbbells, and, um, and fitness. So again, looking to, to help change your, change your people's lives by, and change the world at the same time by having a lot of fun. I love that. And um, okay, so listeners... You know me, and you know that I'm not throwing an infomercial your way. So when you hear that, don't worry. I promise you we are going to have a really good, real deep talk about animals and stuff. And PJ's mission matters. And honestly, this episode um, is for everyone, but especially is for the the keepers and the people in the industry and my audience this time. Um, so... So yeah, stick with us. You're going to really enjoy this. And so PJ, let's start off by talking a little bit about your career. What got you into the pursuit of animals and keeping and all of that? I love that because this is, again, what drives me every with every passion that I have. So when I was five years old, I was, uh, I was in Florida with my family and I saw my very first dolphin show and I pointed to them. I pointed to the dolphins and I said, mom, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm pretty sure she said something along the lines of, of course, dear, because by that time I had wanted to be a veterinarian, a horse trainer, a dog trainer, and a lion trainer at <laughs> some point too. And, but to her and my dad's credit, they signed me up for a swim team at five years of age. And I became a really good swimmer. And uh, 15 years later, I I got my my first job as an animal care specialist at SeaWorld and I worked there for uh, for 7 years well I worked there actually for 10 years and then moved to New Orleans worked with uh, with more marine animals and then added birds to my repertoire and then finally moved to all the way to the west coast where I fell in love with land animals of all things. <laughs> and, um, and I got a job at Woodland Park Zoo where I worked for five years and ended up with the elephants at Woodland Park Zoo. But I worked Wow, with- wait, 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 wait. So you went from <laughs> marine mammals to elephants, the most land mammal that has ever land mammaled, right? Okay. <laughs> is, yes. <laughs> That's impressive. I like that. I like that. That's a heck of a journey. It it was, and what what really again sparked my interest and got me interested was that was visiting a zoo, was visiting it was SeaWorld, but it was visiting the places that had these animals. And every time I visited, I was just again that that craving, that calling, that passion was still it was ignited. And when I got into the field, when I got you know when I was in college. I, I, re- I wanted to pay it forward. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a selfish feeling anymore. It wasn't just, I want to play with animals. It was, I want to inspire the next generations of PJs <laughs> in this world and to, and to just share this just wonderful world that we have with, uh, with, anim- with animals. And again, back then it was marine life, but now I've been working with all kinds. I've worked with land land, air, and water. So 
um, the entire earth is covered with with the, my passion. And that is really what just drives me all along, just wanting to take the best care of these ambassadors to their species to, again, make sure that they shine as bright as they can for, for the visitors and for the public to learn, care, and, and act for conservation. Yeah, that's awesome. That is such a good goal. So when you started at SeaWorld, which, by the way, that's a heck of a place to start. Like, I mean, that's really exciting. Um, what what were you doing there and, and what was it like? Well, when I started, I was in education and, and folks, SeaWorld, they took care of their employees. <laughs> as, a, um, as an educator, I was actually in studying animal behavior, um, the psychology of animal behavior at the University of Central Florida. And SeaWorld helped cover at least half of the, my tuition. Whoa. So, that's yes. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, back then, I, so it was a, it was just, again, a great way to, to get my foot in the door, um, learn even more about marine animals and, and then also kind of, kind of prove myself. It was a way for me to, again, to show up, show how I'm, how dedicated I am and, and let them see who, who I am. Um, but then again, when I wanted to get the job, I felt like I was ready. I had, I was scuba certified. Once again, I've been on swim team for, at that point for 10 years. And, and I was just, I thought I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I tried out for an entry-level position, what they called a husbandry assistant. And they didn't work with the animals. They kind of did more of the chores around kind of like an apprenticeship. And um, I, I, they, they rejected me right away. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Pretty cool. Like, but, you know, but instead of getting discouraged, I, I said, well, why, you know, what, what, what can I prove on They're like, Well, you, you need some animal experience. And so signed up immediately to be a volunteer at the Humane Society at, at a wildlife refuge, got some animal experience, tried out again. They still rejected me. I'm like, well, okay, okay, great. What do you what do you need? They said, well, you know, you you pat you barely passed the scuba diving, so get more experience scuba diving. And I was like, okay, great. Got out there, um, started diving on my weekends, you know, just recreational scuba diving. Came back. You need you need more experience with large animals. Got it. <laughs> and I went out. And so every time I would try out. Rather than get discouraged, I would just learn from that experience. And that was that was a powerful first lesson. It's just never give up. And and eventually, after seven, <laughs> seven times of trying out for the animal care position, I they finally accepted me. You now, wore them down. Good job. It was a little bit of wearing them down, a little bit of them, you know, the worst that could happen is it is it didn't work out and I would quit or or they would fire me. And instead they just they said, you know, they said that I proved my I proved my worth and I moved up in the ranks and I became an animal care specialist. So the at that time, I think SeaWorld has changed their 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 
um, departments a little bit since I've left. But at that time, animal care took care of the uh, all the animal, all the marine animals, marine mammals, excuse me, all the marine mammals that were not in shows. So that included the seals and sea lions, the dolphins, the animals at wild Arctic, polar bears, belugas, walruses. And we were in charge of the manatee rescue program. Oh, wow. Yes. So that is really what drove me. Once again, that conservation calling, I was responsible for helping rescue, rehabilitate, and then release manatees back in the wild and talk about a feel-good emotion, you know, a feel-good job when you bring in a manatee that is sick, injured, or just any animal. But for me, the manatee is sick, injured, or orphaned. It's like small little baby calves, and we're bottle feeding them, and then we're getting them strong again. And then we're tagging them. We're putting in a little chip into their under their skin and sending them back out because they're all better. <laughs> they're ready for uh, they're ready to go back out in their natural environment. That's really, really powerful. Yeah, and, uh, that's amazing. Means it meant it meant a lot. And those kind of things kind of shaped me as well. Um, I I I realized that we made it, we make a joke, and I think. Other zookeepers can can relate to this, but the running joke was the animals eat better than me, <laughs> and, and um, and it's true that we the the animals are eating restaurant quality fish. Um, the food that was delivered for the manatees, for example, were, were romaine heads of romaine lettuce. They came from the same the same people that that delivered to restaurants. It wasn't just like the leftover scraps from. The grocery store. It was actually restaurant quality that we were giving our animals. So the running joke is they are eat better better than me. Um, yeah. I was trying to wolf down ramen noodles. <laughs> the, the truth is, it's. It, I mean, it's really not a joke between what you're saying right now and like honestly, uh, one of the grossest jobs that that I've ever had, and it was a very brief time. But uh, as I was trying to find my way, you know, and doing the music thing and stuff. Um, I actually worked at a daycare very briefly and the, oh yeah, it was, yeah, (laughs) no, that was, that was what you would call not a good fit. Um, but part of my job was to like microwave the food for kids sometimes and everything. And, um, that, that stuff barely qualified as food and it was barely to code. And sometimes, you know, a day or two past the expiration date. And like, I, I did not appreciate how, those kids were being fed, especially knowing what their parents were paying to keep them there for a week. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've never, I haven't thought about that in, I blocked that. That whole thing is just one big blocked memory in my brain. But, um, but yeah, no, they, they, they are definitely every zoo animal that I have seen or, or talked to anyone about eats better than those kids were eating. I can guarantee it. <laughs> that we really do care about what, what goes into the animals' bodies and, and that was something that was interesting that that helped change change my life later, much much later down the road. But things that would that that I remember from again from my from my entire career that those anim, our animals eat really well and not just well but healthy. We're not giving them we're not giving them junk food. You don't see you know a McDonald's coming up to the up to the zoo to <laughs> to deliver food for. For for you know for the 
any of the animals, but they're eating well and they're eating healthy. And so, uh, but as time, you know, wears on as life happens, I, I decided like, let's, let's, let's spread our wings. Let's see where, where else we can go. And, um, and I actually was recruited to, to go to the, uh, new, the aquarium of Americas in New Orleans. So we packed up and I felt like I was going North That's because hilarious. technically, yeah, no, technically it would be, yeah, <laughs> technically, but, but, uh, <laughs> uh, um, but it was not North and it was, it was kind of just like, it was just a, the same weather as, as Florida, but, uh, but different culture. And, after some you know, little bit of struggles out there, we decided to let's regroup, let's re, let's reconfigure what's going on. And my husband and I decided, where where do we where does the sun not shine that much? <laughs> <laughs> and we chose Washington, Washington State. And so I'm looking at a map and I'm like, okay, Washington state's pretty big. Where are the animals? <laughs> where, where's the, where, where's the place where I'm going to be able to, to again, call my home and Seattle called because, you know, Seattle was there because there's, there's several zoological facilities, not just in Seattle, but point defiance, Northwest Trek, um, Seattle aquarium. So we we're like, let's, let's, let's head to, let's head to Washington. And, and I refer to the space needle as the mothership that called me home because <laughs> I do not know why I hadn't come out here much sooner, but it's been such a blessing for, for me, my family, my, my home. I call it, again, I call this my home now. That's awesome. I have only been to Seattle once. But I really, really loved my time there, and I'm really desperate to get back. Um, West Coast in general uh, is just a really happy place for me. Every time I get to California, I um, I, I feel like I just got back home. And um, yeah, and and so yeah, I totally I get that. Sometimes they're just there's the right place for you, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's awesome that you found it. But you're not getting off that easy. Um, <laughs> tell, tell me what you worked with and the, the kind of work that you did at the Audubon uh, Aquarium of the Americas, which is a lot of alliteration. Yeah, it is a lot of alliteration. <laughs> they, so the Aquarium Americas, it, uh, I was I came in as, uh, as a kind of a dual aviculturist and sea otter trainer. And so we're working with their two sea otters and then also with their penguin collection, their macaw collection, and their very small but um, but powerfully you know impactful raptors. So they had three owls and um, and a red-tailed hawk there. So that was my responsibility. Um, the otters were adorable. They're adorable. Yes. <laughs> little, little ankle biters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my worst. <laughs> my worst injury. I, it's a it's a toss up, but my my worst industry I'm going to say is from from a sea otter. I went seven years, folks, without one injury. I worked with dolphins. I worked with you know I worked with polar bears. I worked <laughs> with walruses. Never got injured. Um, you know, three or four months into working with sea otters, and uh, the male bit me on my shin through my rubber boots, oh. through my jeans that I was wearing at the time, 
punctured my skin and required I needed to get a tetanus shot. It was very painful. Oh, oh no. Very painful. Sea otters have the bite pressure of a black bear. Wow. I did not know that. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to meet sea otters yet. River otters for sure. But uh, sea otters are near the top of the list, though maybe slightly not at the top now that you <laughs> told me that. Now I'm maybe a little afraid of them. But yeah, that's really cool. And, Scary, and, but cool. But yeah. So, well, again, to a little juxtaposition is the male was just we didn't get along very well. He had his favorite keeper and it was not me. <laughs> that was, that was very plain. But, and, but the female, um, Emma, she was just, she was just adorable. And, you know, I working with her, she would again, roll on her back. You could feel how soft, how incredibly dense their fur is. And even to the point where I could train her to open her mouth as I showing everyone on my, on, showing all your listeners. <laughs> yes, showing ask, everyone on our audio how podcast. We ask our animals to open their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> zookeepers know which much motion I'm doing right now. <laughs> She's got her fingers pointed up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I've learned a lot because you're right. Anytime you talk to a keeper, when they talk about a behavior they do it like you said they just they always do and so i've kind of picked up on some of the more common you know training hand gestures and stuff and have definitely exploited that at a zoo or two when i've been seeing animals and just like oh i wonder if i could get you to open your mouth right now sea lion boop oh good job yep that worked i'm the worst An older me would probably not appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm careful. I don't do any like craziness, but every once in a while, I'll just do a small one to see if I can get away with it. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but, oh, that's awesome. Sea otters are really cool. And I've, I've also kind of noticed that like, I don't know, most times that keepers talk about bites and stuff, um, there's a certain giggle to it. There's almost some pride in in the fact that that it happened because you love the animal so much. You know what I mean? I I was not proud. <laughs> <laughs> I said I said most of the time. Uh, well, but that's funny. Again, where where it is there is like where's the lesson? This is this is where I again I've I've learned to just take all these instances of where's the lesson in this, in this instance. So instead of saying, oh, this was, this was just a horrible incident. What happened? Well, what happened was, is I, and again, trainers are going to understand this, this uh, idiom is I hadn't set myself or buck up for success. Um, so before the training session, we would prop the door open to the exhibit because Buck didn't like me very much, so I wanted an easy escape route, so he didn't attack me. That one day that, that I got bit, he uh, I, there wasn't a toy available. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't bring me a toy, and so I placed their ice treat that we would give them at the end of their session. I placed that against the door to keep it propped open. However, at the end of the session, what did I do? I t- picked up the ice treat threw it in the water and what happened to the door, it closed. It closed. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and even though there is an ice treat in there in Buck's mind, he had an opportunity that he wasn't going to miss. 
So the lesson I learned, again, the, the, the specific, the literal lesson I learned was bring a toy when you're working with Buck and, and uh, to keep the door propped open. But the, again, the, the, the general lesson was set yourself up for success. We always set the animals up for success. We can focus on the positive. We do the smallest, easiest thing that they can do for to succeed in that session. And then we gradually grow from there, but we set the animals up for success. So do the same for yourself is that is so, so important. Um, it's take again, taking care of ourselves. What is the, what's the one small thing that you can do today to set yourself, you know, your, your day up as a trainer, as a zookeeper, as a human being, how can you set yourself up um, for success for that day? That makes sense. And so then you ended up both at Cougar Mountain and at Woodland Park, correct? Yeah. So a brief, brief stint at, at Cougar Mountain. I was, I don't even remember all the animals I worked with there. Um, but uh, they have, they have a, a huge reindeer herd and they have lemurs and they have, um, they also have you know, lots and lots of birds. Um, I can't, again, as I said, I can't, oh, deer alpaca. Um, and, and I was there for just a very short time because as soon as we moved into, moved to Washington, I looked, I just, my resume went everywhere and uh, Cougar Mountain was the first place to, to hire me. And then right after that, (laughs) Woodland Park, I mean, I feel, I felt a little bad, but right after Cougar Mountain hired me, I got interviewed for Woodland Park and they hired me too. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. I mean, Woodland Park, you know, from listening that Woodland Park is one of my, my faves, even though I've, again, I've only, only been there once, but, um, I really love that zoo. I can't, yeah, I would, that's a dream facility for sure. So, uh, what did you do there? Well, uh, my, my first year was all, once again, all over the park. Um, we could be here all day talking about those animals too, but I eventually picked up a permanent position with the elephants at Woodland Park Zoo. Um, so we had a really small herd. We had three female elephants, two Asian elephants, chai and bamboo, and one African elephant with who stole my heart from Aww. day one. Yes, it was, uh, it was unrequited though. <laughs> she, had, <laughs> she had a notorious history of not liking women. That's, uh, those are quotation marks folks. Um, she had just had a notorious history, but it was just so hard not to love her. She had this, uh, she wore her heart on her sleeve. So if she didn't, if she was annoyed to just kind of shake her entire body, flap her giant African ears and, and go about her day. But if she loved you, if she liked you and she appreciated you, she would give you this sweet little rumble. It's a, it's like a purr that not only could you hear, you could actually feel down into your bones. Aww. And, uh, and so again, it was hard not to like this, this very larger than life personality being the trainer that I am, I, I just, I resigned that she was never going to love me, but I needed her to at least work with me. Right. 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 That is important. <laughs> that, just do what I'm asking you to do. Raise your foot up. So to compensate for me, 
having boobs. Uh, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of switched my mentality with her. I was just really focused on getting her to work with me. So I'd save her, I would save her favorite treats for when I was working with her. So I would, I would give bamboo and chai some cantaloupe, but I would save most of it for Watoto. <laughs> um, and again, that, and things like that. And the other thing is, again, I shortened her sessions when we first started working with her. And I gave her a lot more choice than, um, than she might have even been used to. So uh, when we first started, I'd ask her for to raise her foot so we could do um, some footwork to care, make sure caring for her nails, filing her nails, trimming out the bottom of her, her feet pads. But it was a kind of uncomfortable for her. So I might have her hold her foot for just a couple minutes and then I'd give her a break and then I'd let her back outside. And <laughs> I think it annoyed the, the other keepers, right? We were not done. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, <laughs> 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 she was. <laughs> and, and so she really learned from that, that she had a lot more choice when it came to me. And because of that, she came back to me again more and more frequently. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Um, and so we, even though there were shorter sessions, she would come back and then we would get the foot, all the footwork finished. So we would take a 30-minute session, but break it down to smaller chunks for her, making it a lot more enjoyable for her. And I just, I got this reputation where she wasn't acting belligerent towards me. She didn't charge at me. She didn't. Um, she didn't avoid, you know, she didn't ignore me and I, I never thought twice about it until one morning I came into the, the barn and I'm opening up, um, no one else is there. So I can't interact with the elephants really, but I can check on them, make sure everything's okay. And Chai comes up to me. She's, she doesn't care who you are. If you're going to feed her, she's like, you know, you're my best friend, no matter what. Fair. <laughs> but, um, but when Toto was in the, in the room with her and when Toto came over and gently pushed Chai aside and then she lowered her head and she rumbled Aww. and I was like looking around like who, who else is here? And there, that was it. That was me. She was rumbling for me. And, um, from that moment there again, Watoda was always super, super special. Um, that's and, really cool. <laughs> and that's a uh, that story there is the the power of focusing on the process, not the destination. Uh, so so often we again this here's a life lesson from the animal kingdom. So often we uh, we we set a goal. You know, I want to right now. I'm writing a book. Uh, I want to write a book, and we focus on writing, finishing that book. We're just like, oh, how great it will be to have this book written. That, and, it, it, and it's hard not to focus on that. Oh, how great it will be to have this book written. But we don't want to be focused on the process of writing that. Right. And it goes for everything. We want to have the dream job, but we don't want to focus on the process of getting that dream job, what it takes to get that dream job. Once again, going back to me, working, working hard, learning, what can I do to improve? Um, Steve Martin, the comic, <laughs> we, 
We, we have to differentiate in the animal training world that Steve Martin is a very famous animal trainer. Yes, yes. But yes, Steve yes. Martin, the comic, has said uh, for advice to, uh, to ambitious uh, performers is be so good they can't ignore you. And that's, that's what it is. It's again, focusing on this process, getting better every single day, getting so good that they can't ignore you. So awesome. Your energy is so awesome that Watoto, the elephant who hates women, will rumble for you. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And that's something that I'm really passionate about, too. Um, you know, the most talented musicians in the world are not always the professional musicians. And um, I know drummers mm-hmm. who are better than me who can't make a living in the industry because they're not driven and they don't work hard and they don't want to you know take direction and they don't um bring the right attitude towards it and the number one thing that i see from my amateur musician friends who are bitter about it now don't get me wrong like you can be a musician as a hobby unlike zookeeping where you can't really be a hobby zookeeper i've tried um but the other than that um you know in music uh so many people just take this attitude of i should be a pro not I should be working towards being a pro. Mm-hmm. And there ends up being such bitterness. But the thing that I notice in most of those cases, in, and this is, you know, what I see from people in my world, is that um, they just, you know, I'm a composer. I should be paid for my compositions. I should get to make a living off of my compositions because I compose good music. And that is super not how the world works. I am a good drummer and I get paid for being a good drummer, but also for the attitude I bring and the work ethic and the years that I have put in and the specialty in within drumming that I have focused on and that Mm -hmm. I spend my time practicing. And I'll tell you now, when I sit down at a drum set by myself I don't sit and try and get better at playing 20-minute drum solos because I don't need to. That's not the world that I'm in. There is a world for that in drumming, but it's not my world. So I sit and play the same stupid beats and the same stupid fills and work on new things to really focus on being the best type of drummer that I am so that the next time that the next person comes along and is awesome, they are still worlds behind where I'm at because I have worked my tushy off, you know, on that focus. And I constantly focus on the process. I was in the middle of a show today and I literally was analyzing how I was holding the stick in my left hand because you always want to be good at that. And I've been playing the drums basically my whole life. And yep, still important to focus on the little things and the process. And that's what makes the bigger picture work out, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. I always feel like, again, if you're, if you're not learning a little bit, and I think zookeepers can totally relate to this, if you're not learning a little bit more, what's the point? <laughs> we, we actually, another analogy, I, I, I just found out about this last year. I, I love this. I never worked with sea squirts, but, um, but apparently they're, they're like this a symbolic, a symbolic animal for me now. They actually have demonstrated why humans have a brain. <laughs> and uh, the, the sea sports are this really teeny tiny, um, really pretty animal. I think resembles like a sponge and a cor- or an anemone kind of in, in one. And 
when they're first born, when they're, they're an animal, they have a little tail and they have a very primitive brain, a little primitive uh, brain, brain cord. But then their second phase of their life, they attach themselves to a rock and they lose their tail because they don't need to move anymore. But because they're not moving anymore, they then absorb their brain. So we have folks, we have zombies on this planet. <laughs> That's amazing. But they, they, they eat their brain because they don't need it anymore because they're not moving. And so here's another metaphor, folks. We have a brain in order to move. And I don't mean this on the very, I don't, and we do mean this on a literal level, but it's again, literally why we have a brain. But I also look at it on that figurative level. We're always here. We're here on this earth to move forward, always progress, always keep moving forward. And again, that little lesson from the sea squirt is why, because if you don't move literally or figuratively, you might as well eat your, you know, become a sea squirt zombie and eat your brain and, and just attach yourself to the ocean floor. That makes sense. I like it. That's good. And so with that, I think we should transition from the animal stuff that you have done to <laughs> all of the stuff that you are doing um, uh, since that, that is still very zoo and keeper focused and all of that. Um, so so what led you to let's start with ZooFit and what led you to tell me about your journey that got you to to this and the the realizations that you had about it and stuff. Yeah, as I as we were chatting earlier, I um, it's very very still animal focused. So again, sorry, <laughs> you still get animals, folks. <laughs> yeah, on that I, on this podcast, that's real weird. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I was working with elephants. I worked with elephants for about five years, and I would say year three, year three or yeah, year three or four. I at that point had a had. Um, early stage arthritis in both knees. My knees were in horrible shape. I had bad back. I had neck neck pain. I had migraines, um, fatigue, all the very physical symptoms of burnout, of compassion fatigue, and and I also had all the mental symptoms too. I was again very tired, very moody, low energy. I would I would give. 150% at work and come home and just crash. Absolutely no energy to do anything else. And because of that, I was on the brink of, of leaving the job and, and I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I just was so stressed out. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I don't know what made the light bulb go on, but I, I just remember very, very visual. I was chopping up some, uh, some treats for the elephants and I had to stop mid chop because the light bulb came on and I had this thought, how can on earth, can I take care of these animals if I'm not taking care of myself? And that question changed everything for me. Um, it, it just, it became that big why. So I had that big why when I was five years old, and that's that big why that kept me from, from giving up every time I was rejected to getting into this field. But now I had a new big why. And so I had, I had my dream job, but I, in order to be the best zookeeper that I could be, I had to start putting myself first a little bit. 
um, it, it, you know, in order to take care of the elephants, I had to take care of myself. And so that, as I said, changed everything. I, I looked at fitness in a, a very new light. Um, my husband at the time had joined a, I, I have to tell this quick little story because it does jump to the next, <laughs> next aha I had. <laughs> my husband had joined a CrossFit gym and he saw some amazing changes. And I mean, amazing changes. <laughs> he, was a, he changed physically, but also his demeanor. So I was like, sweet. CrossFit works for you. It's got to work for me. So I joined <laughs> his CrossFit gym and it sucked. It oh, sucked no. so hard. I could, I, because again, I had these early stage arthritis. I had bad knees. I couldn't do the squats. I couldn't do the box jumps. I couldn't do their burpees, the running, everything just sucked. So, <laughs> so bad. And like, not just like, Oh, I'm tired. Sucked. I mean, painful. I cannot do this sucked. And, um, and not to mention the fact that that CrossFit gym's schedule did not work really, really well with mine. It was either like an hour before or after work. And again, a little bit of a waste. So I, uh, I almost quit as soon as I had started and I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around this. I'm like, well, it works for Chris. Why doesn't it work for, why isn't it working for me? And then the second light bulb came on. I was like, that's because what works for one animal in training doesn't necessarily work for every animal. There is no the way in working with animals. There is no the way and getting fit. And I'm so, to this day, I'm so grateful that I had such a horrible experience because I wouldn't have had that, that aha moment. Right. Right. So I had that aha moment and I was like, okay, so you know what? There's no, the way to fitness. There's no, the way to training animals. What if, since I'm doing this to be a better zookeeper, what if, what if I start using these principles on myself? What if I use the training principles and the enrichment and everything else that I do as a zookeeper? What if I started doing that on me? What if I became the trainer and the animal? And once again, everything changed <laughs> from there. That's awesome. So tell me about what, you know, tell me about it. What, what, what changed? How did, how did that change. And and the reason that I'm asking this is not just to tell your story, but because, you know, I said, I, I, I have a lot of keepers in my audience and, and talk to them. Yeah. Tell, tell them why this matters. So this, again, this matters the most because I've done, and I'm sure a lot of us have done tons and tons of fitness and diets and, and, um, and, you know, losing weight or getting fit, getting in shape programs just to, for like three to six months. And then we fall right off the wagon and we get back to where, where we were. And then we have to start all over again, getting back to where we want. And as soon as we hit that goal weight, we fall off all of the, our old habits. And that's again, um, not sustainable, but what is, is when we train an animal, um, we don't just train the animal and then never work that behavior again. We train the animal, and then we keep ma- we keep maintenance on it by even we we don't we don't get a blood sample from an animal 
and then never practice that behavior again. We practice it for the long term so that whenever we need to, we, we, get, we can get the blood sample. Same thing with weight, same thing with going in a, tra- in a crate, same thing with us. So instead of, instead of just like going gung-ho and, you know, burnout at the gym too, uh, on top of burnout at the zoo, I, I decided let's, let's create a, a bunch of different little habits that will support losing weight, support gaining more energy. And we'll train it just like the, you know, break it down into small achievable steps. And then at the end result, once again, focusing on the process, not the destination, but the end result is I have a lifelong habit, not a quick fix. So for instance, we'll take drinking water. I didn't drink a lot of water, drink a lot of soda, as I think a lot of us do. Um, I wasn't big on caffeine, but I, I drank a lot of soda. And so just switching out for, okay, you know what? Starting so small, so stupid, stupid easy that I cannot fail. What's the simplest thing? How I set myself up for success to take one sip of water, just one. And then what do we do, folks, when the animal does the correct behavior? We reinforce ourselves. <laughs> now, there, let me let me put a caveat. I do not mean like you you eat candy. I was just going to say, do you get a do you get a piece of like Zuprine every time you take a sip of water? I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> but but we we do reinforce ourselves, and there's a the the caveat again. Instead of just a not just a reinforcement, it's a, it's not a reward. It's a reinforcement, a celebration of sorts. Um, we and. Animal training, they have the acronym ABCs for antecedent behavior consequence. That's really nerdy. I when I when I'm when I'm talking about to other people that are not zookeepers, I usually change it to activation, behavior, and celebration. And because that's the that's the consequence we're looking at. We're looking at a celebration. But think about we don't give an animal a, a treat every single behavior. Sometimes we can. We give them a verbal. We're like, good job. We give them some attention. We may jump up and down. Um, we may give them a good rub down. Uh, one of the dolphins I worked with, he absolutely loved when I would karate chop his back. He would just sit there and roll over and let me just karate chop all the way down to the point where I didn't even need food to uh, to have a session with him. I just, again, he would just do the behavior and then get the karate chop for, uh, for the, for, for his reinforcement. That's adorable. Yeah, it really was. To be clear to those listening, since, um, you know, she's doing the karate chop, you can't see it. We're not talking about an actual karate chop. We're talking about a like back massage kind of karate. Yes. You weren't assaulting the animals just to to clarify. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, as, as everyone can plainly see on the podcast, (laughs) But yes, I, it was like a, it was like a very quick chop, 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 chop uh, down down the back, like a I guess a Chinese massage. I'm not I I don't know I don't have those type of massages, but um, but we don't have to have food. But there is also a a, a way that we we train the animals. We we had call secondary reinforcer. Getting nerdy again, we call a bridge, and that's kind of what I started developing in my, in my own, my own uh, kind of routine is, 
is every time I again had a sip of water, I would release a little bit of dopamine in my brain by like literally raising my hands up in the air and going, woohoo, I'm awesome. <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, but those celebrations and laughter is another way to release dopamine. So making myself laugh and making myself and recognizing my accomplishments helps actually start craving that habit because our brain wants that feel good dopamine. And so every time um, it wants me to celebrate again. And so it starts telling me, Hey, get that sip of water. <laughs> and, and then from there I started growing. So what, then it wasn't a sip, it was a cup. And then from there it was a, you know, a, a, a bottle of water. And then from there it was like, you know, a whole day of 64 or hundred ounces of water, whichever one is you've decided is best for you and celebrating every step of the way creates a, again, lifelong habit versus a very quick fix. Right. And all of this, um, makes sense, but, but comes from your experience with, uh, with training animals, which is pretty great because, you know, we're animals. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's hard for us to remember that, but yes, we are, we're all, you know, we're all animals. We all have, again, the same drive that our animals at the zoo have. So whether you are training a dolphin, a sea lion, an elephant, a gorilla, a red panda, they all, their brains are actually all wired the same. We, when we reinforce a behavior that we are encouraging it to occur again, because the brain starts craving the 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 consequence that comes afterward when we punish we are teaching ourselves what not to do and as animal trainers will also uh, reiterate it's just not as effective um, right. you can you can teach you can teach a dog to to sit easily more easily by telling what you want it to do than by punishing it for standing lying down walking jumping um, it's going to take a lot longer. So I eliminated all that, all that negative mindset, the punishment, the guilt, the shame, threw it to the wayside. It's like we were focusing on only the, the positives. And that leads to the other, the other way I dealt with my, uh, with, with my own, again, program at this point was when I did make mistakes, well, what did I do with the animals when the animals made a mistake? And I realized, again, we don't ignore, we don't ignore the mistake, um, but we learn from it. We give the, the opportunity to learn by giving a neutral response. So looking at the situation, oh, I had a donut. I didn't want to eat donuts, but the donut was there and I had it. So rather than beat myself up over it, what can I learn from this situation? Well, maybe I didn't have a good enough breakfast. Maybe, maybe I can uh, again re, maybe I can reroute my my uh, my my route to the next destination so I avoid the the break room that has always has donuts in them. <laughs> you can avoid that, or again packing a better snack, and again reinforcing that those the healthy habits. And kind of just drowning out the the negative ones. I love it, and that and and you put all of that into ZooFit, then. Yeah. So again, I started. I started. 
I started this journey. <laughs> I started on these little, little habits and within about six months, I lost 50 pounds. And nice. <laughs> it's a, and, but again, more than the weight, it was what, how I felt. It just, I felt stronger. I felt more confident. And that's really what we are looking for. We're that confidence, the energy, the strength, the endurance to last all day with our brains completely turned like completely on. So we're there for the animals, giving them the best care and then being home and still having the energy to interact with our family or, or God forbid we have a social life and go out with friends. Um, <laughs> so those were the, the big markers that I saw just in a great change. This started with taking care of myself, putting myself first so that the animals could be first too. And, and, uh, yeah, I started again, started seeing this change again. For me, it was a long, it was a long haul, right? (laughs) For me, I'm like, wow, six months, a lot of hard work, but to my friends and other coworkers that, that change looked like, like a snap of the fingers. And, and so they wanted to, again, they wanted what I had. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, uh, if you want to, I can maybe lead a workout. <laughs> and so we would, we started working out um, downstairs in the elephant basement, what we called it. It was a big storage area. And we would just work out in the elephant basement a couple of times a week and making it, again, making it fun, making it very engaging and breaking the, and again, building that habit and changing other pe- other zoo- zookeepers' lives. And then that's where we're getting to right now is that uh, there just came this point in my, in my, my life. I was like, what I'm doing is really cool, but I want to, and you know, I want to share with others. And I wasn't sure how to, how to go about it. And Something something happened at the zoo that just kind of helped help me make that better the, the decision. So we decided to close the elephant exhibit, and and again I support them. Uh, this is actually um, a rarity, but we 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 kind of knew that you know, zoos have to be one hundred percent committed to the animals that they're taking care of, and. At that point, we could take we we had we were down to two elephants, and we had to again make that decision. Do we want to be? Um, what kind of facility do we want to be for elephants? And we decided to to close the elephant exhibit and make, send them to again a, a place that would be one hundred percent committed to to the to the elephants. And then we uh, and at that point, I was just kind of recognizing like, hey, at this point. I could go on being a zookeeper, being super happy. Um, I got trained at the family farm, playing with goats and pigs and chickens, and it was amazing. And I couldn't, and, and but I was thinking in my head, I'm like, hey, this is a this is a thing. This is super, super fun. This is super cool. What if I started sharing this with the world? And so when the elephants left, I decided to to go my way as well and see where see what we could do with, with, uh, with what I eventually started calling zoo fit. So I do call it zoo fit because it's, or, I mean, that 
I think that whole story kind of explains why. But yeah, yeah, I don't think I need to explain why. But its origins are with the zoo, and the other uh, the other point that we didn't get quite to um, is the the connection. The reason why we have zoos in the first place, and that is that connection to conservation. Uh, remember when I was talking about manatees, how we were, I said that the animals eat better than me. I do not say that anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I invest a lot in my food, not just so that it's healthy for me, but also that it's, it's not having a negative impact on the environment. Our food and our, our fitness and our health is so interconnected to the planet. I can't, I can't believe we haven't figured this out already. Um, again, taking care of yourself so you can take care of the animals just so happens to help you take care of the planet too. I love that. That's so cool. Um, and if people want to learn more about ZooFit, uh, where can they do that? Um, I do have a website. Uh, so it's ZooFit.net. And I, I do a lot of blogging. Um, and yeah, that's again, I, I'm kind of re- doing some reevaluation. I'm not very big on social media, I have to admit. I, I do, I, I listen to podcasts. And that's about it. Good life <laughs> listen, choices. Good life I listen choices. To Raw Safari, and that's about it. Love it. <laughs> but um, so I'm kind of reevaluating. There, there's a chance you might be able to see me on, on YouTube. Um, you know, on Facebook, but right now zoofit.net is definitely the best way to, to learn a little bit more. Um, but, uh, in the future, and this is again, far future, but uh, in 2022, I, as I mentioned, I'm working on a book and these things I've just talked about again, uh, how to, how to make fitness fun, engaging and impactful by learning our lessons from all the animals in our lives. Yeah. I love that so much. And I'm excited to, uh, to see what you do with that. Um, and, and obviously I will be happy to share that with my listeners when it is the appropriate time. Um, (laughs) so yeah, no, that's really cool. And, um, you also have your own podcast. I do. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I did a pre-interview today. (laughs) I I do have I've been I am really bad at marketing obviously. <laughs> I I have a podcast um, and it's called Zoo Notable and I I love books books of, of all all kinds but I what I do is again it doesn't have to be animal related although I I do I do venture into animal related books but I take out some of these gems that the books might um, might tell us and tell us how to improve our lives. So again, once again, we can be the best versions of ourselves for the animals or whatever is important to you. And so again, doesn't have to be animals. If you're listening, just an animal lover can be for your family, your community, just again, helping us be the best version of ourselves. Awesome. Love it. And so that is Zoo Notable. Yes. And you can check that out wherever you find podcasts, right? Yes. Yay. All right. And then um, how about uh, conservation organizations you want to give a shout out to? <laughs> this is probably not what you wanted to hear. But um, so I, I, I was considering and, and I do 
I do think that what conservation organizations are doing are is vitally important and not not knocking what they're doing. But to me, it's just more important to have some kind of actionable item versus throwing money or or just support. So to me, it becomes like a one-time thing when people throw money at, at you know, again, Rainforest Action Network, Polar Bears International, Action for, for Cheetahs. It's great and it's definitely helping, but it's just like a one-time thing. So for me, I um I I actually encourage people to to find an action that supports what they what they love. And for me, again, an example is what I what I ended up doing with um, with my own fitness, with my own animals, is elephants, orangutans, um, tapers, tigers, rhinos. They're very very important to me, and a, and a ingredient that has a huge impact, believe it or not, on my health and on their, on their welfare is palm oil. And palm oil is in 75% of our processed food. So by eliminating palm oil, folks, you are going to have a, have, have a, again, an impact on telling, telling the, the producers of palm, of of these foods that this is something we don't want. So we're getting voting with our dollar. So, and, and we, and we, as the people taking action actually get a, actually get something out of it as well. And once again, that's that, again, that reinforcement. So when I give money, I feel good, but to be fair, to be honest, um, when we're working out, it doesn't always feel, feel good. So we're looking for that extrinsic motivation. We're looking for that outside reinforcement. Sure. And that same thing with the, with giving to another organization. It's, there is a, there's, there's the intrinsic that I feel good, which is what we want from, from, from all of our actions, whether again, healthy, healthy habits or, or giving to organizations, but we are looking for the extrinsic and that's where those actionable items can really come into play. So I, I highly um, recommend to again, vote with your dollars, go to the grocery store or go when you're going shopping, we're filming this. I'm not sure when you're going to be airing this, but we're in holiday shopping season. And so if you're looking for something that Again, you can be reinforced. You get something out of it. Uh, look for a one organization I I do and I, I am a part of is one percent for the planet. So you have some big names that are one percent for the planet. You have Patagonia, uh, Clean Canteen. You have um, Seventh Generation. You have these big companies that are part of one percent for the planet. What they do is one percent of every dollar that they make goes to environmental uh, environmental organizations and to um, to conservation but so you are giving a little bit to an organization but you're also getting something in return and most importantly to me we're voting with our dollars we are telling these companies this is the type of practice that we want what we need so again rather than buying the cheapest brand of 
you know, again, of breakfast cereals, going for the ones that are they're not using palm oil that that are also doing things for right for the planet. So looking for one percent for the planet or sustainable, um, sustainable ingredients, and supporting those supporting those companies. So again, probably not the answer you're looking for, but uh, it's an but- open ended question, and I think it's always <laughs> great to find ways to uh, to support the planet and help things. I. Um- you know, I have no problem with that. That's great. That uh, <laughs> Helping to save the planet is a message that is very welcome on this podcast. And uh, yeah, I think the 1% thing is really cool. I think that, I mean, obviously I've talked a lot about um, avoiding palm oil and that kind of stuff. I think that's a beautiful message. I really do. That's awesome, PJ. Cool. Um, but you know what it means? That's uh, it's time for. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. <laughs> well, I, I again, I have been ridiculously fortunate to have never been pooped on, had poop slung at me, or fallen in poop. <laughs> so I, my my poop stories poop story. are, are a little sparse. However, again, relating this all back to, again, our fitness um, and working with elephants, as you can imagine, there is a lot of poop involved. And <laughs> we would, uh, we, we, it was never like a, it was never met, it was never spoken out loud, but we always had this like mentality of, you know, two trips are for wussies and, and, uh, so we would pile as much as we could into our wheelbarrows. Now it is, fit, it is literally impossible to fit it all in one. It's really hard and not recommended to put it into two. Definitely can fit it into about three wheelbarrows, but if you only had two That's people. so much poop. <laughs> it is so much poop. <laughs> really, really, really is. <laughs> If you, but if there's only two people working out in the yards, cleaning up the, cleaning up the poop, um, again, two trips are for wussies. So, uh, Hey, there's another reason I was trying to get fit in the first place. (laughs) I didn't have to do two trips with the wheelbarrow. I was only, I, I've done it twice. The first time I was successful. It was, it was hard, but again, I, I was able to do it. Again, didn't break my back because I had again strong, healthy habits in, in store. I've been doing deadlifts, and I had been practicing and strengthening myself. But oh my gosh, it was <laughs> it was really, really, really full, and uh, barely got it into the into the truck to to take it to the um, to our zudu uh, zudu pile. The second time was my lesson. <laughs> my lesson of you know if you have just just take a just take a second trip i piled on all uh, my my wheelbarrow was my wheelbarrow had overfloweth and and i not only did i have the all the all the you know all the poop in in the leftover hay but i had gathered all the toys from the yard too and so i had everything very very um precariously hanging off of the wheelbarrow and just so positioned and, and walking up to um, walking through the barn 
with the wheelbarrow. Yeah, you guys know it's coming. <laughs> Did not make it to the truck. Dumped it in the hallway. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, we're talking about close to two, 250 pounds of poop that's now in a in a hallway <laughs> where people walk through and um, all this to try and save an extra five minutes. I end up spending, you know, another half an hour probably trying to get all the poop off into the truck and then hosing that water down, squeegeeing it and making it presentable for people to then walk back, back and forth through. So again, I was strong enough <laughs> I was strong enough to do it, but doesn't mean you, just because you can, <laughs> doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Another life lesson from right. PJ. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. Everything that you've done. <laughs> thank you. All right, so there you have it, folks. Make sure you check out zoofit.net to find out about Zoofit and also check out the Zoo Notable podcast that PJ has. And make sure you keep an eye out for her book that'll hopefully be coming out this year. That's exciting. Now, I don't know if you heard it in the background just there or not, but my puppy Lexi, different than Paradiddle, is whining a lot. And so I'm going to go give her dinner because that's clearly more important than working on the podcast. At least Alexi it is. So uh, again, Happy New Year, y'all. And uh, don't forget to follow along uh, at Rossafari on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, Rossafari.com to find new cool merch and also learn about the podcast, and Patreon.com Rossafari to support the pod. And uh, here come those Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.